Uh, I, of course, uh, am Jeff Goldblum, and uh, uh, that Ottawa Senators uh, goal uh, that uh, was just uh, scored uh, was scored by uh, number uh, 72. Uh, that would, of course, be uh, the Senators defenseman, uh, Thomas Chabot, uh, who uh, accepted a pass uh, from uh, number 17, Max McCormick, uh, he would of course get the uh, assist on the uh, on the goal, and um, uh, something that you may not know about uh, number uh, 72, uh, Thomas Shabbat is um, he actually goes by uh, the nickname uh, Hot Sam Bacho, the uh, nickname that was given to him by Sen's blogger uh, Brian Five or Six, uh, a, a gentleman who uh, really knows how to get the fans riled up, just like me. I also get the fans riled up. Can I hear a go, sends go? How's it going, everybody? Welcome to the Third Line Plug Sensecast. I am your host, Taylor Gibson. Joining me, as always, from the tropical metropolis of Calgary, Alberta, my co-host, Tim Jensen. Tim, how you feeling, sir? Doing all right. Just fighting a bit of a cold. Yeah? Yeah, it's the way she goes. Yeah, well, you know, Tim, it is that time of the year where we're fighting sicknesses, eh, bud? Yeah, it's bullshit. I went and got a flu shot. I didn't, and I have not been sick in probably three years. Hold on a sec. Knock on wood. <laughs> no kidding. So Tim, we've got a fully loaded episode today, especially during Top of the Hour. Which, this is going to be our biggest Top of the Hour with 22 stories. Jesus Christ. I know. And it's great to see that, you know, at least you're in fit fighting shape right now because, wow, it's going to take a lot of energy to talk about all the stories today. Oh boy. I might want to get a drink or something. Well, soft drink, yeah. Yeah. Now, before we do that, Tim, we're going to talk about this week's cover athlete because this episode is Season 2, Episode 10, also known as Episode 38, the Vladimir Ruzhiska episode. Do you have any idea who Vladimir Ruzhiska was, Tim? Not a shade. So Vladimir Ruzhiska was one of our... He was somebody, he came over from the Boston Bruins in the early 90s. He was part of the... I don't want to, I can't remember if he was part of the original... Sen's team of 92-93, he definitely was of 93-94, and I think, personally, he had a mullet that rivaled one Radic Bonk. That's actually kind of impressive. Absolutely, absolutely. So, for next week, we've got we got next week's poll already up, because we're going to be doing it next Sunday, and the three people we have got is Joey Juno, Dominic Kosick, and Matt Karkner. So, some big heavyweights here on the list, Tim. Yeah, like definitely players that people recognize, uh, especially with Karkner and Hashik. Absolutely, and I know that I just checked the poll before we hit record, and currently the Dominator is leading. Oh, that is cool, but at the same time I kind of want Karkner to win because we get to talk about that uh, quadruple overtime goal back in 2010. I know. Well, you know what, Tim? Maybe we can hit social media and get people to vote for him. 
Yeah, maybe. Yeah. So now that we got all that out of the way, Tim, let's talk about last week's episode because I'm not going to lie. I thought on my end, anyways, one of the better episodes that I was just, I was feisty. I was ready to go. And then by the end, I was like, yeah, I got nothing left. Well, it was, like, we had some good crosstalk during top of the hour that week, so I was pretty happy, honestly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I think all around, good show, good show. Yeah, absolutely. I don't know if it's going to top this week's episode for top of the hour, but oh, Jesus, we're going to have to wait and see on that, Tim. Yeah, I'm honestly surprised that mid-season we're getting so much play on it. I know, it's hard to believe, Tim. And the fact is... You know, and we talked about it even last week after we recorded. We're like, wow, like, we really didn't do much for top of the hour. Games we actually won. Yeah, and we thought that was going to transfer over to this week. How <laughs> foolish of us. <laughs> I guess we should get started then. Yeah. But before we do that, let's talk about our week, Tim. Because, and you know me, I don't like getting too personal. I haven't had the best of weeks. Oh, what happened? Well, remember last week, well, I'll start off with this. Remember last week when I was talking about how I overflowed some oil in the loading bay? Oh, no. Oh, I did something worse. Oh, jeez. Okay, so the other day, probably Thursday? I, I'm saying, I, I can't remember if it was Thursday or Friday. It was, no, it must have been Thursday. So anyway, I get to work. My boss had burnt some sauce, unfortunately. You know, it happens. Right, we're in a kitchen. And my boss says, hey, T-Dog, do you think you can uh, dispose of this in the janitor room? It's just cooling down. Okay, yeah, not a problem. So I wait until after lunch. The sauce is cooled down, and I'm supposed to put it into the big green tote that we have for our compost. I didn't do that. I decided, eh, I'll just put it down the drain. It'll be fine. Oh. Well, the problem was, because, oh, here's the thing. I've seen the cooks do it so many times. It's like, oh, yeah, I'll just put it down the drain. I've seen them do it hundreds of times. Yeah, I kind of missed a step on what they did. They water it down first? Nope. They have a... That we, our floor drains at work, we have we have a catcher. A catcher that catches everything so it doesn't go into the drain. Oh. I pulled that out and I was just like, fuck it. I dumped all both the uh, tubs into it. And I'm thinking... Now, this should have been the first sign something was wrong. I was like, no, this isn't really going down. So I got the broom and I started like putting pressure on it so it would go down. Were you waffle-stopping sauce? Yes. And so, anyway, I'm doing this, and I'm just like, okay, yep, all right, good, it's going uh, going and going down. I come back probably half an hour later, it's kind of rising a little bit. I'm like, oh, that's weird. Okay, maybe it's just really thick. Maybe I should put some water with that and sort of thin it out. So I did it, it sort of went down. Heading into dinner service, somebody came to me like, Tay, what the hell's going on in that janitor's room? And I'm like, what are you talking about? He goes, we have a massive flood in there. And I was like, oh, no. And I walked in, and our janitor's room was flooded. How bad? Well, half the room was flooded. Like, it was probably an inch or two high. Jeez. Yeah, and I was just like, oh, this isn't good. And I know the head maintenance guy had to come down and try and fix it. He couldn't get... He couldn't get it down. So he's like, okay, no worries. We'll get the plumbers to deal with it in the morning. The uh, next day, the plumbers are working on it. They're still working on it when I got to work. And this is probably, I don't know, 20 after 11. So it's been like this for 24 hours almost. 
yeah, they've been working on it for all day. They've been working on it for at least two, three hours. And they got it down just after lunch service had ended. Oh, Jesus. And so I asked one of the guys, I said, so how many flats of beer is this going to cost me for you guys not to hate me? He just looked at me and goes, if I knew it was you, I would have drowned you in that mess. Yeah. Yikes. And that's not even the worst part, Tim. You know, I'm sure you've heard the expression Christmas blues, right? Uh-huh. Yeah. I usually get that around this time and mm-hmm. it don't go all. I mean, now it's fine, but yeah, I got hit with the Christmas blues. Try not to be condescending. <laughs> I know, and I know that you're just trying to cheer me up and I appreciate that. But yeah, it was just one of those things, because I always get it around this time anyway, and it's like, ugh. Like, yeah. I, I'm not a very festive person regardless, but still. It, but, you'd be happy to know, Tim, that I am doing good now. Nice. I'm ready to go for this week's episode. And we won't go into it, but apparently I had a better week than you did. But, we're not going to yeah. talk about that. Instead, how has been your week, Tim? I got the new Super Smash Bros. on... Uh, Friday, and I learned that I still have really bad gamer rage. Oh my god, how is the new Smash Brothers? I've heard some pretty good things about it. Um, as far as, like, actual fighting technicals go? Yeah. Very good. Okay. The issue I've been having is, the new single-player mode is dumb. Yeah. Like, it has kind of half-thought-out RPG mechanics that are just kind of forced in. Lots of menus, lots of loading, and... All the missions, it's either, like, stupidly easy or impossibly difficult. Right. And there's no in-between. And it's just kind of rage-inducing. Oh, I remember those days, buddy. Yes, and I feel bad for Chelsea. Because she has to listen to... Well, I mean, I should stop, but I don't. <laughs> well, in fairness, Tim, this is on Chelsea. She chose to marry you. I mean, I should be better. You should, but, you know, she knew what she was getting herself into. We got it. I could choose to divorce from Chelsea. <laughs> okay, first of all, Chelsea, you can't choose to divorce if you guys aren't legally married yet. We're common law. So that does mean there has mm. to be some form of separation. Hmm, that is actually a good point, Tim. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not getting involved with that. I'm just going to be the neutral third party. If I have to be Dr. Phil, I will, but, you know... Does Dr. Phil even do that sort of thing? I thought that was more of Jerry Springer's bullshit. No, Springer is more of the... He just lets these sort of trailer trash folk just fight on a stage. Maury sort of does it with an urban audience. And Dr. Phil, he tries to help everybody out. I don't know. I haven't really... I don't watch any of that, so I don't know. No, neither do I. I mean, I saw Springer years ago, and I was like, this is the fucking funniest thing I've ever seen. But I was like... 10. Yeah. The only thing I really know about Springer is uh, from, like, I think it's in the first 15 minutes of the second Austin Powers movie, uh, my dad's a super villain, and it's uh, Seth Green as Dr. Evil's kid, and there's, like, a Klansman, Dr. Evil, and a guy dressed up as Hitler. Yes. No, it was, uh, my father is evil, and he wants to take over the world. Right. Yeah, there's just the glands. Yeah. Yeah. All right, let's hear it for Scott Evil. Yay. 
Was that actually Jerry Springer? Yes, it was. They actually went to that studio and they filmed that. Oh, that's awesome. I know. Did you know that Jerry Springer was like the mayor of Cleveland? I thought it was Cincinnati. Was it? Oh, yeah, that's right. It was Cincinnati. It was one of the Ohio cities. And apparently he got busted for, I think it was like either corruption or hiring a prostitute or something. And the, yeah. and the city still voted him. Yeah, because otherwise, apparently he was otherwise a really good mayor. Yeah, that was like Marion Barry in Washington. Guy smoked some crack, they still voted him in. I'm surprised Rob Ford didn't get that treatment. Well, Rob Ford's dead now, so he can't really exactly get that treatment. Fair enough. Rest in peace, Rob. But, yeah. Well, I guess people would argue that Rob Ford wasn't a very good mayor, while Jerry Springer and uh, the mayor in Washington were better. So there's that, too. True. Although I would have loved to see what Chris Farley would have done as a, for a Rob Ford impression on Saturday Night Live if he was still alive. Oh, jeez. That'd be next level. I know. I was actually watching some Chris Farley on YouTube the other night, and I was just like, God, this guy is so high energy. I wonder how much cocaine he must have done to do that. Probably a bucket. And the answer is all of it. Jesus. Yeah. Uh, before we go into Top of the Air, I just want to mention one more thing, Tim. Uh-huh. As you know, the World Juniors are going to be here in a few weeks. And there was one game in Vancouver for New Year's Eve, Russia versus Canada. Would you like to take a guess who got a ticket for that game there today? Jesus. That's right. <laughs> I got a ticket for that game. I got a ticket, I got a hotel, and I'm ready to go, buddy. Nice. This is probably like the one game I actually wanted to see was, well, okay, technically Canada versus the United States on New Year's Day would have been great, but they're not playing on New Year's Day. They're playing the day after. Really? Yeah. for what? do New Year's Day. I know. That's like a tradition in Canada. That's like the World Junior starting on Boxing Day, Canada plays on New Year's, and we end up going to the gold medal. Yeah. Win or lose, who knows? Exactly. So I'm very excited that... New Year's Eve, I'm going to be at Rogers Arena seeing Russia versus Canada. That's going to be very exciting. Yeah, especially because, like, there's a, quite a few Ottawa player, Ottawa prospects on that team, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, as far as I know, I think Alex Formanton is the captain for Team Canada, and Bernard Docker, I believe, is one of the defensemen. Nice. I don't know if he got named to the team or not, but as far as I know, uh, Formanton, absolutely for sure, and possibly Bernard Docker. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because Brown's aged out, right? Yes, if I'm not mistaken. I will, I will have to check on that, and I'll update you on that. But as far as I know, I think he has. Oh, did Tyconic make the team? or Johnny Trionic? No, I don't think yeah. he has. Oh, okay. That would be a great name for like a sci-fi action hero. Tyconic. Johnny, Johnny Trionic. Pew, pew, pew. Yeah, he could have like three robot arms. Tim, are we going to be creating a third-line plug fan film? Based on Johnny yes. Trionic? Yes. But as far... Honestly... Jer, Jared Bernard Docker, I, he's, he's such an interesting pick. Like, that he's he seems to be, like, really undervalued. That Ottawa was considered going off the board for a guy who's going to be on the national junior team. Mm-hmm. With a low first-rounder was considered off the board. Yeah, and remember, well, remember when we did our draft episode back in June and we were just like... Who is this guy, and 
Like, neither of us knew. And then Trevor Shackles came out with Cosper Pointcast, and he was raving about him. And I'm like, okay, I'll take Trevor's word. Mm-hmm. Like, that's, that's what's really hard about juniors. Once you get to, like, uh, the level below Major Junior, so, like, uh, Alberta Junior, sorry, like, Junior A, like, BCHL, AJHL, SJHL sort of level, mm-hmm. there's not as much information about these players. No, and what information is based on what you see in that league. It's not based upon the best of the best. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's definitely interesting, but what I've seen from clips from him at UND, he looks pretty good. Mm-hmm. I've been really impressed with him, and hopefully we can let him develop a little bit and he can be brought up to the big club eventually. Mm-hmm. All righty. So, Tim, do you know what that means? It's time to segue. Into this little segment I like to call Top of the Hour. Wow, like I said, we've got a lot of stories to talk about, so let's not waste any time. Let's get right into it. Uh, first of all, I want to give a shout-out to the cities of Edmonton and Red Deer because Hockey Canada announced that Edmonton and Red Deer will host the 2021 World Junior Hockey Championships. This is the first World Junior Hockey Championships held in Edmonton since 2012, while Red Deer's last hosting year was in 1995, which they shared with Edmonton and Calgary. Oh, if there's good games in Red Deer, I might have to go up. Yeah, absolutely, man. You'll have to make it up there if you, if you guys are still in Alberta, of course. Yeah. yeah. Red Deer's not far from Calgary, though. Well, you know what, Tim? If, they're st- if you guys are still in Calgary, you might have to make the trip up, buddy. Yeah. Although I, I imagine the good... Games are probably going to be in Edmonton. Yeah, that is true. Just like here with Victoria and Vancouver. Mm-hmm. Although apparently, according to Bob McKenzie, that's something Hockey Canada wants to look into more, is having two cities instead of one. So you have an NHL city and a major junior city. Yeah. No, that's a good idea. That's yeah, not a bad idea at all. Yeah, you could probably do like... like a, Well, I guess you could even do like two uh, major junior cities if you want to do how... If they wanted to go back to Halifax, you could do Halifax and Cape Breton. That is true. Even if you want to do more than that, right? Because you've got, what would you have? Halifax, Cape Breton. Moncton. Moncton. Uh, I mean, Charlottetown's Saint not exactly. John. Yeah, St. John's. A lot of good. No, St. John, not St. John's. St. John's is Newfoundland. Do you have a problem with Newfoundland, Tim? It, the travel time would be probably too much. Huh, fair enough. Let's go on to our next story, and this is probably the biggest story of the week, Tim. Guess who got an NHL franchise? Seattle. Yep. NHL Commissioner Gary Bettman officially confirmed that the Oakview Group's bid for a 32nd NHL franchise in Seattle has officially been accepted by the Board of Governors. The Seattle NHL team is expected to hit the ice at the renovated Key Arena for the 21-22 season. This new franchise will take its place in the Pacific Division while Arizona will move to the Central. Well, that's rough for Arizona. It is rough for Arizona, but, you know, this is great for Seattle because we've always said Seattle would be a great city for hockey, especially because you're within two hours of Vancouver. You have a lot of hockey fans in Oregon that would make the trip up, even if they do or do not cheer for a Seattle team. That's Mm -hmm. not here, there, anywhere. And I Thunderbirds do well enough too, right? That is true. And also, this is a big story because the city of Quebec City, oh, they're pissed right off. They didn't get a franchise, Tim. Yeah, although uh, it's interesting because 
the rumor does have it that Houston might not be interested in an NHL team after all. I heard that too. Apparently, a city that has emerged has been the city of Austin. Really? Yeah, the city of Austin. I can see that, yeah. Could be an interesting city. And, I mean, I don't know what you would call a team in Austin, quite frankly, unless it's the Rattlesnakes. The Austin Alamo. Wasn't the Alamo in San Antonio? Yes, but the alliteration is too good to give up. AA? Yeah, and Sam Austin did fight at the Alamo. That is true. That is true. Um, actually, something I've heard about the rumor mill around uh, Seattle is uh, apparently from a few of the guys in the local papers is that the name Kraken might be out. I heard that too. I also heard that the NHL doesn't want to go with Metropolitans because, in the words of Gary Bettman, we have a division called the Metropolitan. Yeah, I get that. Yeah. Come on, Seattle Nighthawks. Yeah. Or the Seattle Salmon. The Seattle Frasers. <laughs> the Seattle Free Prime shipping with orders over $30. Well, it just rolls off the tongue, doesn't it, Tim? Yeah. Now, speaking I- of Quebec City, and I know what I got, I asked you the other day if you can maybe use your economic skills that you learned in university to give us some reasons why the city of Quebec is not as viable of option as Seattle might be. Population. Like, here's the thing. If you get 20% support in both cities, you're just going to have way more fans. There's a lot, there's a higher population in Seattle. There's more money. Even if there's a bit more, even if there's more sports competition, you've still just got so many people to spread it over compared to Quebec City. And although I guess the one thing with Quebec is you might, and even the last time the Nordiques were in Quebec, it was a hard sell. And this was back when uh, team salaries were less, like a million to seven million dollars, maybe ten on the high end. Yeah, but the thing is, and you also got to, there's a few things you got to factor in, right? You got to factor in that when the Nordiques originally was in Quebec, there was no salary cap, and also you got to factor in that the Canadian dollar was how many cents, like seventy cents to the U.S. dollar or something. But that's about, yeah, we're not much better at 80 cents. And now that the salary cap is just so much higher, and because hockey's professionalized so much since when the Nordiques were around, right? Mm-hmm. Where you're paying almost $100 million, sorry, your minimum pay is like what the salary cap maximum was 10 years ago. Yeah. And that's not just inflation. That's just the player skill has gotten so much better. And they're commanding so much more money. Yeah, which uh, is understandable, right? Oh, for sure, because without the players, there's no show. Of course you have to pay them what they're due. But, uh, yeah, it's like Quebec City's overall moderate population. And, like, Quebec City is another... It's a government and tourist town, so, like, the level of income is nowhere near what Seattle's is. Mm-hmm. Uh, Seattle is just overall a far more attractive option. Yeah, because you have all the money there, right? You have Microsoft, you have Boeing, Amazon's now there, so you have all the money from there. And I know for Quebec City, and I argued this with somebody, that the thing is, is economically, it makes more sense to go with Seattle, given that a lot of more money's in there. But how much of a factor in Quebec City is the fact that the 
greater or the or say the majority of the population of Quebec City is francophone. I don't think that really matters one way or the other, to be honest. Like, I don't think that really affects uh, the hockey legacy of Le Canadien. I think the only reason that's really a big thing for Le Canadien is because of the legacy of just how politically charged, well, I guess how completely intertwined Le Canadien were with uh, kind of the ri- I don't the rise of Quebec, like this new demand for respect within Quebec during the 50s, 60s, 70s, especially with uh, Richard, Rocket Richard and the riots. Mm-hmm. Like, I think that was very big because it was a time where Quebec wasn't, Quebec and uh, fran- Francophonism in Canada just weren't getting the respect that, like, the basic human dignity they deserved. Yeah, because Francophones in that time were much like what African Americans were in the United States at that time, where they were looked at as second-class citizens. Mm-hmm. It's kind of weird to think that a hockey team was central to something like the FLQ. Yeah. Like, being used as a symbol. Yeah, but the thing is, and I want to get your opinion on this, given that how much of the... Given that, like I said, Quebec City is a major francophone city, how much does that isolate Anglophone community from promoting the team, right? Because you have Quebec City, like I said, it's a major francophone city, so that sort of isolates your marketability towards... I don't think... I really don't think it impacts that much, especially because Quebec City is... They were never all that big on separation anyway. Uh, Like, as far as... Quebec was... Oh, Quebec always... Quebec City always voted high in the stay... High for stay. In the stay... In the leaving referendums. And the Montreal Canadiens do just fine... uh, marketing themselves to Anglo-Canada and beyond, so I don't see why Quebec would have that sort of issue. But the thing is, is Montreal, at one time, was largely Anglophone, and the the Francophones, as time went on, the community got bigger and bigger and bigger in Montreal. Mm -hmm. But, like, again, flip side, though, look look at Quebec law, they force you to speak French. And despite that... Like, I think the Montreal Canadiens would be, have been able to work with that, and I think uh, the Nordiques wouldn't have too much of a problem either, so I don't think there's too big of a language barrier here, especially with NHL.com being in both languages. Most of the players will learn to speak French. Uh, you'll have English and French media covering them. You'll have national TSN. We'll have writers that'll be interested in it, as well as uh, like things like La Presse covering them. So I don't... I wouldn't be too, or TBA, I wouldn't be too worried. Okay. Let's go on to our next story, Tim. Former Toronto Maple Leafs GM Brian Burke was a guest on Sportsnet's To The Point with David Amber when he made plenty of dispersing comments towards his former team regarding the contract given to Leafs forward William Nylander and the process that went into it. Burke stated his objection to the deal is twofold, in which he stated Nylander is the sixth or seventh best player on the Leafs and that the team should have paid him the money in August and also the deal will hurt the Leafs in future negotiations because of how the process worked out in the eyes of player agents. First off, it is a little rich that this is coming from a guy who paid Francois Beauchemin a sixth of the, sal- a sixth of the salary cap. But here's the thing. There's nothing Dubas really could have done with the holdout, other than Cave. Yeah, because I know I talked to one of my buddies who's a Leafs fan about it, and I said, I understand that Kyle Dubas 
you know, he's essentially playing chicken with Nylander to see who folds first. And obviously, like I say, you know, you look at it, he folded first. But I also look at the flip side. If they had tried to trade him to whatever team, that team would then have to try and sign him. Yeah. And what if, say, I'll use Carolina as an example, right? What if Toronto trades Nylander to Carolina and the Hurricanes can't sign him? What if he doesn't want to sign with them? Yeah, it's holdout city, so they were probably getting low ball offers on trades as well. So it was like a situation where I think the the one point that Burke makes here that I think is is it's going to be hard to say how it actually plays out, but it definitely has the potential to be is agents are going to get ballsier because mm-hmm. they know that for their star players the holdout works. Yep, and we obviously saw that with Eric Lindros about twenty five plus years ago, right? Mm-hmm. Or even Cal Turris. That is true. That is true. Although, you know, you know, he got traded years later, but that's not the not the point here, Tim. Not here nor there. No. <laughs> yeah, so it's it's gonna be interesting to see uh, does this evolve into does this put new fuel to the fire, uh, potentially bad C a T uh, sorry, please excuse me. The C B A talks going bad in when the CBA expires in the next year or so. Because mm-hmm, I know that's going to be a big hot-button issue with the PA and the NHL, right? Is that the fact that now players and teams are giving, you know, eight-year contracts, nine-year contracts, and you have a lot of money up front, and there's there's so many facets that go into that, right? And I wouldn't be surprised if that's going to be a big gridlock in the negotiations when the CBA's up. Yeah, for sure. So, Tim, you remember the last couple of weeks we were talking about Dan Carcillo and his online Twitter thread about hazing and bullying in junior hockey? Yeah. Well, somebody also came out and blasted Dan Carcillo because of it. Really? Yep. Former Carolina Hurricane and Toronto Maple Leafs forward Jeff O'Neill took to Twitter to criticize former NHLer Dan Carcillo and his recent online crusade against hazing and bullying in the sports world. O'Neill tweeted that Carcillo attacking him on a podcast and remarked that he thinks Carcillo is a fraud while suggesting that the former NHLer also has hazing skeletons in his closet. What? Yeah, that's a big... Like, that's huge right there. Because not too many people have come out and criticized Carcillo about it. Everybody's been, oh, he's so brave and this is so great that we're finally getting this out in the open. And Jeff O'Neill's like... Okay, why am I am I the only one who sees something might be not right here? But then again, like extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence, I guess. Yeah, and I mean I think his big problem with Carcillo really came that Carcillo had openly Done it himself, yeah. Yeah, openly attacked O'Neill on the podcast and O'Neill took to Twitter to defend himself on that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just such a weird situation all around. Yeah, and it's funny because, you know, especially when you look at some of these former NHLers that go into broadcasting, like the Jeremy Roenicks, the Mike Milberries, they created a character where they're so over the top and they're so bombastic and they're ready to have a go at any time. Jeff O'Neill is kind of like that, but he's kind of not like that in the same way, given that he was a star player in the NHL when he played. But he also doesn't seem like a guy who would want to fight people. And 
I don't think he created a character. I think he's just generally just being himself, kind of like what Brad Hall was. Mm-hmm. So he's not a jerk like Jeremy Roddick is. I don't know. I don't watch a lot of, like, I guess most of my hockey media comes from, like, Twitter and TSN and from written stuff, so I just don't really know much about how people present themselves in this manner. Mm-hmm. And I know so that Jeff, well, Jeff O'Neill is a TSN commentator, right? He does a, I think he does the Overdrive. He does a TSN okay. Toronto Maple Leafs radio show or po- I think it's either radio show or a podcast. I'm not too sure on that, but okay, yeah. Jeff O'Neill, I've heard him on podcast and he does seem like a very engaging and interesting person to listen to. So I can kind of understand that. And this kind of took me by surprise given that he doesn't, I don't get that impression from Jeff O'Neill that he was like, I said, Roman and Millerberry where they're just creating a character. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know. It's if this becomes a weird beef, I don't really know what to say. I don't know. We'll definitely have to keep tabs on this, though, Tim, for the podcast. Yeah, because this could could explode. Absolutely. Let's go to our next story. Elliot Friedman reported that NHL alumni Guy Lafleur, Wendell Clark, and Lanny McDonald are preparing to participate in the last game shinny event this coming April at, wait for it, the North Pole. What? Hockey Hall of Famer Slava Fedosov who is the UN's environment patron for polar regions, is involved in the planning which is designed to call more attention to the dangers of climate change. Wait. So to call attention to climate change, we're going to fly a bunch of people up to the North Pole? Yep. Three former NHLers, and hopefully, given that they probably gained some weight from their playing career, if they don't fall through the ice, then, no. We'll go from there. Yeah. Interesting enough. Yeah, I don't really know even what to say about this. I read the story and I'm like, I don't know what to even say about this. I don't think this does anything. It just seems kind of silly. Unless they fall through the ice. If they yeah. fall through the ice, that's when you should call some, call more attention to the dangers of climate change. If you can't support these guys. Yeah, if you can't support what, yeah, if Wendell Clark falls through the ice, it would be like, oh, I think you get a lot of people to look at it as like, Now's the time to do something. He'd be like, no, not Lanny! <laughs> Save him! <laughs> yeah, I don't even know what to say about that story, Tim. But uh, it would be interesting to see that, for sure. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah. Toronto Maple Leafs forward Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner have agreed to join the National Ballet of Canada for a special show on December 19th. The two Maple Leafs forwards will perform the role of cannon dolls who fire a cannon into the crowd to begin the battle scene in Act 1. That's cool. Yeah. So if you're in Toronto and you want to see the superstars of the Leafs on stage, grab your tickets for December 19th. Oh, that just sounds like, that sounds like a lot of fun. Oh, can you imagine if, like, Alpier Carlson were to, like, an NAC ballet? Oh, that would have been interesting. I would have paid to see that. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah. Although it would be, like, Austin Matthews' luck that he hurts his shoulder again. Oh, he almost hurt his shoulder this weekend. Hey? I know, I saw that, and I was like, ew. Ugh, poor guy. I know, that's it. Put him in a bubble. He's too fragile. <laughs> Unlike Joey Triconic. That's right, Johnny Trionic. Coming with your So a story that we talked about last week was Ron Hextall being fired as the general manager of the Philadelphia Flyers, and we talked about how Chuck Fletcher was 
as rumored to be the next Flyers general manager. While the Flyers made that official, Philadelphia Flyers have hired Chuck Fletcher as the team's new GM and vice president. Fletcher, who was rumored to take over the job vacant by Ron Hextall, was previously the GM in the Minnesota Wild from 2009 until 2018. Yeah, I don't really know what to think about this trade. Sorry, I mean this, this like, Hiring? bringing in Chuck Fletcher. Because it's... Like, yeah, like the the Wild had been doing very well underneath him. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, uh, the bringing in uh, Suter and... Parise? Parise under those huge, huge contracts have kind of tied the hands of Minnesota. But also being able to see that the Eric Stahl redemption tour was coming, as well as pit freeing Nido Niederreiter from New York, from the Islanders. Yep. It's a mixed bag, so we'll see how that goes. Yeah, and we also can't forget that uh, Miriam Gabrick also left the Wild during his tenure as well. Mm-hmm. Although, to be fair, Chuck Fletcher did do the most important thing when he, when he went to Philadelphia and made sure to acquaint himself with Gritty. Yep, that's always very important. It's very important. So, uh, who knows, maybe, maybe he can do this one right. Yeah, maybe, Tim. Okay, what's next? Well, I'll tell you, Tim. NHL Commissioner Gary Bettman made a comment regarding the NHLPA's plans over the World Cup of Hockey. Bettman was quoted as saying that the league has been anxious to anchor plans for a World Cup tournament. However, for whatever reason, the PA has not been prepared to do that. I'm going to agree with the PA on this one. I know. Why can't they just do that Summit Series idea that you had? Yeah. Or, you know, just Olympics. Yeah, I would have been more in favor of the Olympics, to be honest with you. Yeah, because now, now that they're not even going to do the Team North America and Team Europe for the young players, what's the point? Exactly, that was the best part when the World Cup of Hockey happened in 2016. Yeah. And, it would, and you know what, if they do Team North America versus Team Europe, you could bring all the young up-and-coming rookies coming in. You could have, like, the Brock Bessers, the uh, Elias Petersons, the Thomas Shabbats, players like that who are very young, very talented, and you can show them off to people, right? Because you have a wider audience now because everybody's watching. Yeah, it's it's almost like the what? Well, it's like we already have the World Juniors, but just the next step is like the big prospect game. That'd be sick. I'd watch the shit out of that. I know. As long as it's not the all-star game, I'm cool. Yeah. Yeah. Los Angeles Kings defenseman Drew Doughty spoke candidly with the Los Angeles Daily News regarding the Kings' struggles this season. Doughty was heard blaming the team's compete level as the most significant problem in their woes. He stated the the team's compete level was, in quotes, pathetic, embarrassing, and frustrating, while while also to state the team needs to play a more physical game in order to win due to the lack of talent. So, I know when we did our top five favorite slash current slash all-time players i i mentioned that didn't put drew dowdy on the list because i've really cooled off on him the last couple of years and this is another reason because i don't know if he's being critical constructively or he's just bitching about stuff now well it's funny because like complete level is just such a nebulous fucking thing but i think he's kind of right about the lack of talent on the kings yeah because it's like, this team would have been really good six years ago. Because it's just old. 
Yeah, and they have a team that was built to play in 2011, 2012. But in 2018, which is now six years later, they don't have a team that's built for that, right? And we're seeing that as they're one of the bottom feeders in the NHL. Chicago's the same way. But Chicago's kind of in a different way because their talent got old and the talent they surrounded them with ended up being too expensive to keep. So that's kind of different. A team that I'm always fascinated about, another California team, is Anaheim. Because Anaheim's sort of in the same boat LA is, right? Where you have a very physical team, but they have more talent around them that can that can help out whatever kind of holes that they may have. And then they're just... Co- well, this year, though, it's that talent co- covering up the holes is John Gibson. Yep. That man is standing on his head every night because it's Randy Carlisle coaching that team to grind. So they give up like 30 shots, at 30 some shots every night. 30 shots a night, Tim? Well, 30 oh, plus. Oh, come on. They're yeah. not even trying now. Fuck, look at our team. They're giving up 50 shots a night. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, what the hell's you know your excuse, Anaheim? Anaheim? What's that? You know what Anaheim needs, Tay? What? Our good friend Tom Pyatt. Yes, they do. Yeah, I think Anaheim would be great with Tom Pyatt, you know? You know, he's just a really solid third, fourth-line player. You know, can chip in for an odd goal every now and then. And, you know, he just seems a, kind of a good guy in the room. And, you know, we always know he would be a coach's pet. So Yeah, and you know, he plays hard. He plays the game the right way. He does. He absolutely plays yeah, hard yeah. the right way. And, you know, he seems like a solid player even off the ice. And he would be a good compliment to a team like Anaheim. Mm-hmm, for sure. Yeah. Ooh, we've got an uplifting story here. Yes, we do. The humble Broncos received a rousing applause and a standing ovation from the Maple Leafs fans during their game versus Detroit. This came exactly eight months to the day the team was involved in their tragic bus crash. Well, that's, no- that's nice. Yeah. Well, did you hear about the story that just happened yesterday? No, no. That one of the kids who was paralyzed in that ended up also getting rear-ended again? Jesus Christ. He was in a truck and somebody rear-ended him again. Yeah. Uh, stay away from any black cats, I guess. Yeah, and don't walk underneath ladders or broken mirrors and always throw salt over your right shoulder, Tim. Yeah. Unless you're in Dumb and Dumber and you accidentally hit Cam Neely with it. Cam Neely deserved it. Hey, well, come on now, Tim. He wasn't known as Cam Neely in that. He was Seabass. True. Ooh, this next one looks fun, too. Well, I mean, fun, I guess. Former Florida Panther David Booth is attempting another comeback with his recent signing with the KHL's Dynamo Minsk. Booth, who played last season with Detroit, played in 530 games, scoring 124 goals, 112 assists for 236 points with Florida, Vancouver, Toronto, and Detroit. David Booth's one of those weird players where he was like him and Jake Bowmeister looked like they were really good, and then they left Florida and they weren't. And Stephen Weiss. And Stephen Weiss, yeah, yeah. Actually, the only real memory I have of Booth is when I was doing an online hockey pool with a bunch of randos, and uh, one guy uh, he comes in, he drafts first, he he comes in, just screams Booth, selects Booth, and then and then leaves. Really? Yeah. That's it. That's it? Yeah, I was just like, what the fuck? That's crazy. And everyone's just like, why? Because Booth's the best sucker as it goes. 
And the guy who was second was like, I got, I'll take Crosby then, no big deal. Yeah, yeah, I know. You know, I guess I'll take Crosby. I mean, he's not a superstar like David Booth or anything. but Yeah. Or Tom Pyatt. Tom Pyatt. Cody Yeah, Cici. I think I was third, and I was, expect, I was expecting to probably just pull like Spetzer or something, but Ovechkin followed my lap. I'm like, okay, I'll take that. All right, I'll just do that then. Thank you. Yeah, um, was Booth on the... When was Booth on Vancouver? Was that when they went to the Cup Finals or no? I think that was the year pre, pre the year after. Okay. Actually, I can have a look here real quick while we're talking. Yeah, because there was a lot of kind of transient players on the. There was a lot of like players that you wouldn't expect to be on the teams that they were mm-hmm. that year. Like yeah. You had Nathan Horton on Boston of all things. Yep. Although that yeah, was a good move. It worked out. It was a shame that AHL, sorry, Aaron Rome ended his career. I know. So according to Wikipedia, David Booth played six games for the Florida Panthers in the 2011-2012 season before being traded to Vancouver, where he played 56 games, scoring 16 goals, 13 assists for 29 points. That's pretty fourth line. Yep. And they paid him big bucks for that, too. Oh, jeez. Oh, jeez, is exactly it. Well, you know what's going to be OGs again, Tim? Uh-huh. We get to talk about Atlanta. What? I know. The ECHL's Atlanta Gladiators unveiled a new uniform for their game versus the Orlando Polar Bears that gives nod to every previous pro team in Atlanta, including the Atlanta Thrashers. Kobe is That's... life. How ugly is this jersey? It is one of the oddest jerseys, and while I have it here, I'll bring up the jersey again, because this is just, I don't even know what to say about this. This is just one of the oddest jerseys that I've seen. Like, there's just so many different motives for all those Atlanta teams, because you have the, you have like the Thrashers, which were like that baby blue color, and then you have the Atlanta Flames, which is the Calgary Flames colors, like. What the heck? I know. Um, at the moment, I'm not... I don't think oh, I can see it on here. Oh, here it is. Yeah, so apparently it, it looks a lot like... It kind of has the color scheme of the Ottawa Senators O jerseys. It has, like, the yeah. black, the red, and the gold. It has Atlanta, like the Thrashers did around the arm. And it has a few other little things, including the Atlanta Knights... The former minor league team, so that's, I don't know, it kind of looks like the Phoenix Coyotes jerseys from like the 1990s, to be honest with you. Yeah, but not as not as good color scheme. No, or having a superstar like Ilya Kolbachuk. Yeah. Or, you know, Patrick Steffen. Yo, it's hard to miss like that. It is, you know, it's hard to get a superstar like that, and Atlanta was happy to have him. Yeah, no kidding. Yep. These are all... I don't like these jerseys. No, they're ugly. Uh, Columbus Blue Jackets head coach John Tortorella was seen on the bench during the team's game versus Philadelphia wearing a hoodie instead of a suit and tie. Tortorella had been suffering from flu-like symptoms in pregame and decided to ditch the suit in favor of a hoodie to feel comfortable and warm while on the bench. This... You know what? If it was any other coach, I'd have no problem with this. But you know Tortorella would chew a a fucker out for... Like one of his players out for doing the same thing, so... Yeah. Fuck you, Tortorella. I know, but you know what? 
actually TSN had that on their Instagram. They were talking about if other coaches wore hoodies on the bench, and they had like uh, Peter Laviolette in Nashville, Paul Maurice in Winnipeg. I think Bruce Boudreau in Minnesota was one of them. It was kind of neat, and I was like, oh, okay. I mean, I don't want to see every team do it, but, you know. Oh, no, I don't mind. It's all right. I don't have a problem with it. Like, I honestly, I like what they do in the NFL where it, like, uh, Belichick looks like he could just jump into the game. Oh, I know. Actually, did you see? Did you see that they fucking lost today? Who were they playing? They were playing Miami. They had, they had a lead, and I can't remember what happened. I think Atlanta, not Atlanta. New England kicked the ball back to them, and the and the running and the guy caught it and he ran it back all the way for a touchdown to win it with, in the last seconds. Oh, was that the ninety nine run? Yes, ninety yard run. That was today. Yeah, with just the ridiculous stiff arming that looked like it came right out of fucking tackleable. Pretty much, and fucking Rob Gronkowski tried to tackle him, but he slipped. Oh no! Oh wow! Oh god, it was amazing. Just pulled the team. Yet yeah, just pulled the goddamn city. Uh, that's a good time. Let's go into a serious story here, Tim. Toronto Maple Leafs forward William Nylander and Kasperi Kapanen were involved in a car accident near the team's practice facility. Neither player was injured in the accident as the collision was minor. Now, I just want to make one comment. I want to make one comment before we go on to anything else. Yeah. Who the fuck drives an orange car? Orange is a cool color, and I will fight you over I that. cannot trust anybody that has an orange car or a team that wears orange as a color. And it's not religious reasons. I just don't trust them. So you don't trust Gritty? All right, Tim, are you an expert? Were you there? But, yeah, Gritty wears orange. Gritty is orange. Yeah. So you don't trust Gritty? Yeah. I mean, I'm Gritty's fine with Gritty. I don't have a problem against Gritty. Yo, you would be sick if Spartacat fought Gritty. No, you know what would be great? If Brian Five or Six fought Steve Dangle. But I don't like Steve Dangle. I don't mind Steve Dangle. Actually, did you see their videos that they put up today? No. Oh my god, you gotta go watch that. It was one of the best. Was it Brian Five or Six and Steve Dangle? Or? Yeah, it was like Brian Five or Six sending Brian a video, and then Steve responded. Oh jeez. I don't know, it's like, I guess I've said this before, Brian 5 or 6 is, if Steve Dangle was funny, just because, it's like Steve Dangle just yells about shit. He doesn't go into the unhinged, unhinged spaces that Brian occupies, which are actually fun. True, but you know what? Both guys serve a purpose with their respective fan, fan bases, and I don't have a problem with Steve Dangle. I, th- yeah. I think the reason why I don't have a problem with Steve Dangle is that unlike many people on Leafs Twitter or who cover the Leafs, Steve's not biased against the Senators. Fair enough, but just, he has a really punchable face. He does, but people would say that about Brian Five or Six, too. Or even Cousin Gary. I don't know. Brian's face is just like, oh, he's a guy with a beard. Steve Dangle is just like that. It's the shape. It has a very... And then he's doing the stupid mouth open thing. On his Twitter icon, just can't. I don't know. I just can't stand the guy, and I and it's completely irrational. No. So before we go on to our next story, Tim, would you like to hear the Steve Dan- or not Steve Dangle, the Brian Five or Six video from today? I'll, I'll watch it. You'll watch it. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Cool. 
Next story. We're already going long. All right. Next story. Vegas Golden Knights forward Ryan Reeves was ejected from the game versus Washington following a late hit on Capitals forward Tom Wilson. Reeves was not suspended for the hit while Wilson did not return to the game. I'm surprised he didn't get a suspension for this, to be honest with you. Yeah, that was an ugly hit. But I guess at the same time, maybe the league's like, oh, Tom Wilson's gone for a bit. That works for our purposes. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, but that's really not the way they should be looking at things. No, they shouldn't. But, you know, if they're not going to suspend him, then there's not really much to talk about there. Yeah. I was hoping that we'd get, like, a DPS actually doing something, but... Eh. I know. The more things change, the more things stay the same. That is true. Now, our next story, and I'm not going to lie to you, Tim, I almost got, like, deja vu when I read this story. Detroit Red Wings forward Tyler Pertuzzi has been suspended two games for a sucker punch on Colorado Avalanche forward Matt Calvert from from sitting on the bench. Calvert was attempting to retrieve a stick from the Wings bench after taking a big hit only to be met with the punch. So like I said, Tim, like I'm always getting deja vu because, God, like, I don't know. It just seems weird to me that somebody on the Colorado Avalanche got sucker punched by somebody whose last name was Bertuzzi? Yeah. Do you also get deja vu from this, Tim? I almost feel like this almost happened, kind of. Yeah, like 15 years ago, maybe? Maybe, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, I'm surprised. Honestly surprised that sucker punching a guy from the bench gets the only two games. Mm-hmm. Jesus Christ. Well, I remember back in the day when his uncle, Todd Bertuzzi, got suspended 10 games for leaving the bench to fight somebody in an altercation in 2002, I believe that was. It was right before the uh, playoffs started, and he got suspended 10 games for that. Yeah. For leaving the bench. Which, I mean, I'm surprised. Which, that's fair. Mm-hmm. And actually, Tyler Bertuzzi is actually not having a bad season with 19 points. So, and given that he didn't get a lot of coverage and a lot of real um, acknowledgement coming into this season, so it's kind of a shame that he's gotten suspended a couple of games. Yeah, I'm a little, I'm a little surprised it's only a couple. Mm-hmm. All right. Calgary Flames, for, Calgary Flames, Mark Giordano and Ryan Lumberg have both been suspended by the league following Calgary's game versus Minnesota. Giordano was suspended two games for his knee-on-knee hit on the Wilds' Miku Koivu, while... Lumberg was suspended one game for leaving the bench to start an altercation, much like the Topper Tuesday one that I was just talking yeah. about. Oh, that Miko quit. Oh, that Neon Knee by Giordano looked awful. I know. Yeah. Freaking gross. Now, what is the mood in Calgary right now, given that Calgary is, like, first in the Western Conference? Pretty good, honestly. Yeah, my Flames France friends seem to be pretty happy with it, so. That's good. We'll take it. Yep. Toronto Maple Leafs have traded Josh Levo to the Vancouver Canucks for forward Michael Carcone. Levo, drafted 86th overall by Toronto in 2011, recorded four goals to assist for six points in 27 games for Toronto this season, while Carcone recorded six goals, 11 assists for 17 points in 20 games for the Utica Comets of the American Hockey League. Yep. This is just to make space. Yeah, pretty much. Pittsburgh Penguins have traded Daniel Sprung to the Anaheim Ducks for defenseman Marcus Peterson. Sprung recorded four assists in 16 games for Pittsburgh, while Peterson recorded six assists in 27 games for Anaheim. This is a down... I don't like this trade for Pittsburgh, but I get why they did it. Sprung is a player that, for whatever reason, they just never liked. Like, the 
guy obviously has the ability to be like a second line, third line guy, but they just never really gave him any good line mates, never really gave him a chance, and always, he was always the first to get benched. So I'm not surprised Pittsburgh made this trade. Pittsburgh made this trade. Yep. But the return was definitely underwhelming. Oh, very much so. But you know what? Daniel Sprung, much like Carl Hagelin when we talked about his trade, I thought he put up more points in Pittsburgh than he did. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. And especially because you made a mention of it last week on the episode, on the show that I was like, okay, maybe that's a big trade that I've just never thought about when I but when I looked at the stats, I'm just like Really? He only had that many points? I didn't know that. I thought he had more. Yeah. Oh, well. Yep. It is what it is. Pretty much. So the last three stories are Ottawa Senator related. Thank Ooh. God. Thank God, am I right? Pittsburgh Penguins have traded defenseman Stefan Elliott and forward Tobias Lindbergh to the Ottawa Senators for defenseman McCoy Ankhams and Ben Sexton. Elliott and Lindbergh recorded one goal, seven assists for eight points in 20 games, and two goals, four assists, and six points in 15 games for Wilkes-Barre slash Scranton, respectively, while Irk Camps recorded one goal, five assists for six points in 21 games for the ECHL's Brampton Beast, and Sexton recorded nine assists in 17 games for the AHL's Belleville Senators. Uh, this is, I think Ottawa gets the better end of this trade because the prospect pool gets a little younger. I don't think I don't think Ben Sexton, Ben Sexton's kind of aging out of that potential prospect role. Yeah. Uh, Camps, I don't. If he's doing, he's pretty met in the ECHL. Then he's probably a lost cause. Yeah. Although this is coming full circle, given that we had traded Tobias Lindbergh to the Maple Leafs for Dion Phaneuf three years ago. Yeah. No kidding. Yeah, I, I think I like this trade. I'm happy with and, it. Yeah, and I think it boosts boosts what Ottawa has down in the minors given that they are somewhat depleted due to the injury situation up in Ottawa oh absolutely so we got a third story talking about Gary Bettman NHL Commissioner Gary Bettman was asked about the current situation regarding a new arena in the Breton Flats area of Ottawa Bettman says that he is disappointed with how the arena situation is playing out and sends owner Eugene Melnick did not attend the NHL's Board of Governor meeting in Georgia what's interesting I find is the second comment Gary Bettman wouldn't have mentioned that if there if there wasn't a, a constructive reason to do so. Because as much as people don't like Gary Bettman, he has been a he's been a very good commissioner, and he knows he knows when to put information out. Mm-hmm. And you know what? I mean, Bettman is definitely a very polarizing figure within the NHL. But and I never part of me doesn't really understand people's argument of oh well he doesn't like Canadian teams or he doesn't want teams to be in Canada really because if he wasn't commissioner the Calgary Flames the Edmonton Oilers and possibly the Ottawa Senators wouldn't be in Canada today yeah and like the thing is is I guess a lot of people blame him for locking out frequently but he Gary Bettman usually ends up getting what he wants yeah and also the lockouts ended up doing more good for the league than bad, especially with the introduction of the salary cap and the difference in money, like which helped save the Oilers and the Flames. And, you know, he, then they also look at the more economic reasons of things that they do, right? And that's why, like I said, that's why they put a team in Seattle. That's why they're looking at Houston. And you look at other reasons that we won't go into. But for Gary Bettman to drop that piece of information... You have to know that Eugene 
Melnick is on very thin ice. Mm-hmm. And we've known that for a while, given that his comments about moving the team was less, probably 51 weeks ago. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Tim, so. we've come to the end of Top of the Error with one last big story. Don Brennan revealed in an article leading up to his return to Ottawa that Eric Carlson never believed that the trade that sent him to the San Jose Sharks would come to pass due to his belief that another ownership group would make a power play to buy the team, oust Eugene Melnick as Sen's owner, and bring back Daniel Alfredson. Brennan went on to say that Carlson apparently told friends that he wasn't going anywhere, that Melnick was selling the team, and Alfredson would join the group as he would be re-signed long-term. Like, this is Donnie B, so you kind of have to take this with a grain of salt. Yeah. But at the same time, if though Remember, we did start hearing those rumors last year that there was going to be a new ownership group with with uh, Daniel Alfredson being part of it. And if it was coming from a credible source, well, mm. I think the team captain would be a very credible one. Yeah, absolutely. And given that so. Alfredson even said to Jim Watson off the record that he doesn't want Eugene Mellon to own the Senators anymore. Yeah, so it's like, there's some palace intrigue going around, and as much as I like to say playing chicken with the most stubborn man alive probably won't work, we might be at the end of this. Hopefully. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah. Well, Tim, we have got to top of the hour Officially, wow, 22 stories, Jesus Christ. I think top of the hour was longer than an hour. Yep, pretty much. Well, Tim, now that we've got that out of the way, it's Wait. time to... Sorry? Tate, does that mean instead of top of the hour, we were the hour with our boy Strombolopolopolopolis? Pretty much. Whoa. Yep. Well, Tim... Let's get out of top of the air to start talking about these games. And we got three games this evening. We got the Sens versus the Canadians, Canadians versus the Sens, and the Penguins versus the Senators. But before we do that, let's hit the music. Time to play the game. Time to play the game. <laughs> okay, Tim, let's start talking about the games of the week, starting with. Senators versus Canadians. This is a 5-2 Canadians victory. Sens goals were scored by Dylan DeMello and Mark Stone. Canadians goals were scored by Max Domi with two, Jonathan Drewen, Arthur Lekkinen, and Brendan Gallagher. Shots for 41-30 for the Montreal Canadiens. Montreal outplayed Ottawa throughout this game. The Habs had a solid offensive attack throughout the game, which is mainly due to Ottawa's defensive woes in this game. Ottawa did have a decent offensive attack, however, would only score twice in front of Carey Price. Let's talk about Ottawa's defense. Man, the amount of mistakes they made in this game. And they got burnt on a good chunk well, of them. Yeah. Like, especially, like, there were two, like, really bad periods where it just seemed like Ottawa couldn't play at all. It was the first, like, that early first period where Montreal really took it to them and Ottawa just didn't do anything. And then that last five or so minutes in the second when Montreal ringed off three. Yeah, pretty much. Like, Ottawa's defense looked really bad with the exception of the DeMillo, the DeMello and Shabbat line. Like Cody, like CC Harper, Iaros and Falk were victimized heavily throughout the game. Mm-hmm. 
One line that wasn't victimized, though, was the Tuchuk-White Stone line. Because they were the best line for the Senators. Stone got a goal, but White and Tuchuk did play it tight for most of this game. Yeah. I do really like that young line is playing very well. And they're legitimately fun to watch. Mm-hmm. Be- I do want to see more of them. Although, uh, the Dezingle, Duchesne, and Batherson line were fighting it last, fighting it that game. Mm-hmm, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Do you want to go on to the next game? Because it's pre- pretty much the same story. Um, actually, I just want to have a couple of notes. Uh, Tuchuk yeah. and Gal- Tuchuk versus Gallagher was pretty much a bust. I want to give Montreal DJ a big shout because he played the themes for Seth Rollins, Stone Cold Steve Austin, and also Too Legit to Quit by MC Hammer. And one comment which will go into the next game was Jonathan Durant's comment following this game where he stated, we hate those guys like they hate each other before correcting to like they hate us. Oh, damn. That was a hell of a slip. But you have to wonder if there's any truth truth to that because you imagine rumors fly amongst the players in the NHL mm-hmm. and you would think that a comment like that would be billboard material for the Ottawa Senators heading into this game nope nope Canadians versus Senators this is another 5-2 to two Canadians victory Canadians goals are scored by Paul Byron with 2 Jeff Petrie Andrew Shaw Sens goals are scored by Mark Stone and Colin White shots were 43-21 for Montreal Mark Stone scores to make it 1-0 Senators after Ottawa won the faceoff. Jeff Petrie ties it for Montreal at 1 from the point shot with Sale's top corner. Paul Byron scores to make it 2-1 Montreal on the cross-ice pass. Andrew Shaw scores to make it 3-1 Montreal after CC was, in quotes, peak CC. Colin White with the spin move scores to make it 3-2 on the Dezingle rebound. Brendan Gallagher tips the puck in front, which bounces off the post, off Anderson's foot and in to make it 4-2 Montreal. And Paul Byron buries the empty to make it a 5-2 final. Now, as I said off the top, I didn't exactly have the best of weeks. It was pretty tough given I had the the Christmas blues. And I did have to condense this game because it was a rough day and just a long day at work. And I just went to bed as soon as I got home. But it sucked. It did suck. And I have that in my notes. My notes, this is exactly what it says. Wow. Ottawa looked brutal in this game. Couldn't clear it. Couldn't get anything going offensively. Defense was nowhere to be found, in quotes, typical CC, and Anderson didn't look great. I felt really bad. Like, Thomas Shabbat was fighting it all night. Like, it was just weird mistakes. He was, it was just, like, uncharacteristic mistakes. And when Shabbat's having a bad game, the defense isn't deep enough to cover up for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was interesting, like, one of the comments online that I saw was people were worried that this was a coach's adjustment to get... Shabbat to play the right way and he starts and people are worried that might have caused him to start second guessing himself yeah and we've seen that over the last several games where as soon as he gets the puck he looks like oh fuck what am I going to do now do I clear it do I pass it like what do I do he looks nervous yeah and that's a coaching thing Mm -hmm. this team getting its ass blasted two games in a row is a coach thing this team not being ready to play is a coach thing. Tom Pike not being stapled to the bench after an awful dis- defensive last that's fucking minor hockey tier Yeah, in the second period. That's a coach thing. If, if this team wasn't poor, the whole coaching team would have been gassed after this. Yeah, pretty much. Like, it's time for it's time for a 
full sweep of the coaches in Ottawa. Yeah, and Sen's Twitter absolutely tore the team a new one, as the main thread throughout Sen's Twitter was about the Senators looking inspired, and I know that you also commented on that as well. Uh, one more comment I want to make before we head on to our third and final game of the evening. Both Bobby Ryan and Matthew Shane are injured. Bobby Ryan's got a concussion, and Matthew Shane pulled his groin. Yeah, the Bobby Ryan concussion is one of those things where if you don't laugh, you'll cry. Because he was head down, skated into Schlumpko. Yep. That was dumb. Which is a shame, because Bobby Ryan, as we said on the show, he's quietly having a really decent season. And Matt Duchesne has been our best offensive player, whose name isn't Thomas Shabbat. Yeah. And, like, the apparently uh, this the groin pull was something that Duchesne's been feeling for a few games, but just a weird step in the sequence of him cha- coming out of the penalty box is what really aggravated it. Yep. I know how that feels. It's not nice. No. Uh, this, these two games are definitely ones that the Senators want to forget. Yep. The third game, on the other hand, though, Tim. Mm -hmm. Penguins versus Senators. This is a 2-1 Senators overtime victory. Penguins goals are scored by Jean Chapaskin D. Sens goals are scored by Hudson Bacho. And Ryan Dezingle in overtime. Shots were 36-29 for Pittsburgh. An exciting game overall. Despite Pittsburgh dominating Ottawa in the first period, Ottawa was able to get their game going while Pittsburgh started shooting themselves in the foot and were unable to beat Craig Anderson. The big story of the game was the physical play from both teams despite no fights breaking out. Huh. Thomas Shabbat had a much better game. Yes, he did. And I think we have to give credit where credit's due to number 41. Because he, in my personal opinion, is the only reason we won that game. Yeah, well, I mean, how many games are like like when your goalie's putting up a nine? Sorry, a nine seventy two. Yeah, thirty five saves, point nine seven two save percentage. I thought he looked great. Actually, the two lines that I thought looked really well, and I'm not sure if you and I are going to see eye to eye on this. I thought the third and fourth line played well, shutting down Pittsburgh's big stars. Honestly, yeah, they the they act like sure they they didn't get much shots on their own, but Nick Paul, Pierre Vinpari. Sorry, Nick Paul, Max Cormick, and, P- and Pye having just very few events mm-hmm. is a good sign. Yeah, and we also can't forget Bo Decker, Tierney, and was it Zingle? Yeah, they they weren't. I don't think they were as impressive shutting them down. Uh, Cece and Lejoie looked bad. Like they got eaten alive yeah. by Crosby, Kessel, and Guznetzel. Mm-hmm. Actually, I want to mention Chris Chris Letang because what a fucking crybaby this guy was. Gets called for numerous penalties and gets into an altercation with Brady Tuchuk. Yeah, I didn't actually I didn't actually watch the game. Uh, I was capacitated, but <laughs> yeah, that's we'll we'll keep it at that. Yeah, so I I didn't I can't really comment on that, but I wouldn't be surprised because Letang Letang's been known to be a complainer. Very much so. Uh, two more comments here. Uh, Sidney Crosby's mustache. What the oh, that's fuck? That's awful. Oh, it's brutal. But what isn't brutal was Ryan Dezingle's overtime goal. Yeah, like, Dezingle was fight. Like, he wasn't having a great game until that overtime winner. Mm-hmm. Overall, this seems like a game that Ottawa shouldn't have won but did. Yeah. But it's good to see that uh, 
Thomas Shabbat was back to being Thomas Shabbat. Very uh, much. The Whitestone and Kachuk line was playing well. But you can kind of see that Ottawa's comes up very short in the absence yeah. of Matt Duchesne. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, yeah, so I guess that wraps up the episode for tonight, Tim. If you want, have yeah, anything yes. else you want to talk about. Nope. Okay. First of all, guys, thank you so much for listening to the Third Line Plug Sandscast. I hope you've enjoyed it because, believe me, Tim and I loved recording them for you. If you guys on iTunes, please listen, rate, and subscribe. We are on SoundCloud, soundcloud.com slash thirdlineplugsensecast. And because our bod Dave made the mention, we're on Google Play Music. You can find us on Twitter, at thirdlinepluggers, our Twitter handle. Tim is at m901honeybadger, and I'm at greatwhitegipster, g-r-8-w-y-t-e, gipster. If you want to shoot us an email to talk about the games of the week or to talk about how brutal Sidney Crosby's mustache is, shoot us an email, thirdlineplugsensecast at gmail.com. Nice. Okay, so for the four games we're going to talk about for next week, we've got the Bruins versus the Sens, Sens versus the Predators, Sens versus the Red Wings, and the Sens versus the Montreal Canadiens. Oh, jeez. Yeah. Yeah. Who knows? Maybe we'll have another busy top of the hour and some nice things to talk about. Yeah. Well, I know the final two games against Detroit and Montreal, I probably won't get be able to watch because I got Christmas party on the 14th and the Royals game on the 15th, so. Yeah. We'll see, though. We'll see how it goes. Yep. Until next time, guys. I am your host, Taylor Gibson. And this has been Tim Jatsy. Go Suns, guys. My time here is up. They're going home!